The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their, colts on, throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for speaking to us through your word. And um, I pray a blessing over the, the message that Randall has for us today. And I just pray a blessing over each and every one in this congregation. Would you open our ears to hear and open our hearts to believe what it is you're trying to tell us. Uh, Lord, thank you for all that you do for us in our lives and all that you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joe. Good morning. All right, so it's Palm Sunday, and uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Randall, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. And today we're going to be looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And our text, as Joe just read, is Luke 19, 28 through 40. And over these next uh, two weeks, this week and next week, uh, we're keeping it simple. We're going to be looking in the book of Luke uh, at these two passages. What, what is uh, stated as the triumphal entry is Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, so that's where we'll be today. And then next week, we're going to be in Luke 24, talking about how Jesus is risen and he's alive. Um, and on Friday, Good Friday, we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus' death. And so, again, as, as my wife just said, uh, check out the live stream. It's just a great way to worship personally and also uh, as a family to just reflect on the great gift it is. And, you know, as, you know, even as Joe was reading this, this text today, there, there should be like in us this awe, right? This awe of this time, this season of Jesus, what he's done for us. Um, man, I just feel it. Uh, and so today, the, the message is, is this. He pursued us. He pursued us. Could you believe that there's a God who came to pursue you? See, for many of us, different walks of life, you, you might be coming here today thinking that I'll, I'll seek after God, but th there's no way that there's a God out there that could be pursuing me. With all that I've done, with all the mistakes that I've made, there, there's no way that God would actually be looking for a person like me. And so some of us have written off the idea that God 
could ever love us like that. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so when we talk about God, like what pops into your mind? My hope today is as we go through this text that God and the way that you view God will start to be shaped not by what your past hurts or pains or maybe what people have told you about God have shaped that worldview as, but as what he displays here in our text today. So what's your view of God? Do you see yourself fighting and clawing your way to him? I gotta get to God. Or could it be that God has fought and clawed his way to you? See, how we view God is very important. And in today's text, we're gonna have two groups of people here. There are people in this text who are fighting and defending their view of God. Here's who I know God to be and I will defend it. And when they saw Jesus, they said, that's not God. But then there's another group of people who are excited, joyfully celebrating this king that's entering into the city and really fighting his way towards them. See, the belief that God pursues us is very scriptural and is wrapped up in this one word, grace. You see, it's grace that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. It makes it unique. Because here's what grace says. Grace says, God seeks sinners. Not good people. He he seeks sinners. And so we see that in a little bit earlier in Luke 19 when it says in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You say, man, I come in here, I feel a little bit lost right now. I'm trying to figure out this world and I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Could you believe that God is seeking after you? Grace says, God himself worked his way down to be with us. It's a miraculous verse like John 1.14 that says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so when you you experience Jesus, when Jesus comes close to you, what you'll experience is levels of grace and truth that you've never experienced in your life. And Jesus didn't just talk about it. He came, he embodied it. See, this is grace. Is the undeserved, unearned gift of God's love, forgiveness, and presence. And if you think in your heart today, like, I wish that were true. Like, I wish that that were possible in my life. I want to tell you today it is. It is. See, Jesus' attributes all point us towards the grace and truth. That's who he is. That is who he is. And so in today's text, what do we see in Jesus? And, and could it be that he's pursuing us? Uh, again, the text is Luke 19, 28 through 40. And just to give some background on this text, Jesus has been healing and doing ministry. And now he's coming to the end of his life. And the interesting thing about the triumphal entry is you will find it in all of the gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as you look at the text in each of these 
uh, Gospels, what you'll find is just a full version of, wow, all the scope of what this triumphal entry is. And, um, and in it, as Jesus is entering the city, he's very deliberate. He's very deliberate about everything that's happening in this scene here. And if we really think about it, it should shock us. But he's making a bold statement about who he is. About the triumphal entry, D.A. Carson says, this is a deliberate act of symbolic self-disclosure for those with eyes to see. Secrecy was being lifted. You really want to know who God is? You really want to know who Jesus Christ is? You can find it in this verse. And so throughout this text, we will see that God lifts the veil of secrecy and shows us who he is, a God that pursues. He pursues us. And so let's break it down in three ways. And so I'm gonna give you all three up front if you're taking notes today. And if you're new today, grab one of those Grace City journals. That's what we do here. We just take notes. And if there's something that sticks out to you, you say, man, God really spoke to me through that. Write it down. Don't forget it, right? And so you can write down different scriptures and all that stuff in, in those journals. And so we have those for you out there. But here's all three points. He, God, pursues us with clarity. He pursues counterintuitively. And he pursues courageously. Clarity, counterintuitively, courageously. So I got my three C's. Make it easy, right? I like that. You're like, whatever. You're like, what else? Been thinking about it all week. Come on. All three C's. All right, so the first one, clarity. So verses uh, 30 through 31, look at this. It says, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Uh, so th this is a really, really interesting section of scripture here. Um, but Jesus tells his disciples, okay, I want you to go into the village. And once you see this, this colt, I want you to untie it and just take it. And if somebody, so he prepares them for what's about, he's like, somebody's going to ask you about this. And so I want to prepare you with the answer. Just tell them the Lord needs it. And they go and they do it, and they just say the Lord needs it. And whoever owned this colt said, cool, <laughs> take it. So this is a really, really cool text right here. But um, the thing that sticks out is this, the Lord, the Lord. Jesus is referring to himself. And he's making it very clear. He's saying the Lord needs it. See, earlier, if you read through the, the different gospels, Jesus tells people not to tell anyone who he is. It's very secretive. Now we see that Jesus is starting to push the envelope. Say, okay, you, you really want to know who I am? The Lord. As Jesus is pushing this envelope, what, here's what he's saying. I'm not here to be popular. I'm not here to get your vote. I've come to be king. I've come to be king. Jesus enters the city saying, clearly, look at who I am. And what he's 
doing is he's boldly forcing the issue. He's doing this very clearly in front of everyone. He's saying, you have to crown me or kill me. What do you do with somebody that's saying that they're the Lord or that they're king? You either say he's right or you say we got to stop him. With Jesus, it's receiving all of him or nothing. And so Jesus, as he's pushing the envelope and saying, look at who I am, he's saying, receive me for who I am. I am Lord. C.S. Lewis uh, once said this, I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Listen to this. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. See, we want to shape Jesus into what we think he is. I want to have this perspective of who Jesus is, but Jesus doesn't leave that up to us. He says, if you know who I am, if you read through the gospel, you will find very quickly that he didn't come just to be a great moral teacher. He came to be Lord. And so he made that clear. Second, he did this counterintuitively. So God pursues us counterintuitively. Now look at verses 35 and 36. And they brought it to Jesus, the colt, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. This is amazing. So Jesus <clears throat> chooses literally an unbroken donkey, a baby donkey, to come in on. And comparatively, you think about it, how would how would God entered the city. How would somebody who wants respect enter the city? A war horse, right? Somebody who, who, who's coming in to, to change things up, the order and the way that things are, to get attention? Messiahs before him would enter on a war horse saying, follow me. Jesus comes in in almost a laughable scene on an unbroken donkey. See, this is counterintuitive to what we would expect from a king. But it's purposeful. Did you see that? It says that they, they put their cloaks on the donkey and they laid their cloaks before him as he came into the city. A king deserves the red carpet not a cloak, not a jacket just thrown on the ground. 
But that's how Jesus entered the city, on the cloaks of his people. Why did Jesus do this? Think about a donkey for a minute. Zechariah 9.9, 500 years earlier to Jesus entering the city, predicted that the Savior would come into the city just like this. He would come in on a donkey. And to think about a donkey, the donkey carries the weight and does the heavy lifting, doesn't it? It it does the dirty work. You think about the donkey, like the war horse is pretty prestigious, but the donkey is kind of in the background, hauling heavy workloads. See, essentially the, the, the donkey does the dirty work. Spiritually, think about Jesus. Jesus is about to do the heavy lifting. He's about to do the dirty work. Jesus is going to carry the weight of sin on his shoulders all the way to the cross. Jesus is symbolically saying, look at who I am, look at what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the dirty work for you. You want to know how I'm going to enter the city? I'm going to enter like this. Humbly entering the city, ready to die for his people. What does this reveal to us? That he's in charge, and he has a plan, and he's going to do it counterintuitively to everything that we think, because he entered the city to lose power and die so that we could experience his power and live. He chose to be weak so that he could make weak people strong. Do you see what he's doing here? And and, and this is pretty amazing. So you think about like the, the donkey for a minute, this unbroken animal, never been ridden before. You ever try to touch or go next to an unbroken animal and try to ride it? (laughs) That's not a smart thing to do, is it? (laughs) They're like, what are you doing? Get off of me. (laughs) That's the one that Jesus chose. And I love this comment by Don Carson. He says, in the midst of this excited crowd, an unbroken animal remains calm under the hands of the Messiah who controls nature. feel like everything's a little crazy and you don't know how everything's going to come into alignment. Jesus takes this unbroken animal, calms it. I'm going to ride into the city on it as an excited crowd is around him. It's a miracle within itself. As Jesus enters the city. See, this is the foundation of the gospel. You and I aren't saved by being strong. We're saved by being weak. Jesus, in this message, is saying, I'm approachable. I'm approachable. You can come to me like you're struggling, you're hurting, any of those things. Like, I'm approachable. I'm an approachable Savior. I'm not a Savior on a high horse. I'm a Savior you can come to if you're in need. See, he's a savior for the broken and spiritually lost. Anyone can come to Jesus and receive salvation. He's saying, you want to know me? 
It starts with being weak. This is counterintuitive. See, what were the crowds expecting as Jesus was entering the city? They're expecting that, Jesus, you're going to make things right here on earth. You're going to make things right right now. Jesus is saying, I want to make you right with God. That's what I came to make you right with, with God. And that's what you need more than anything. And how did he do that? Well, the third point, this is the last point, is he did it courageously. Look at verses 39 through 40. It says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I love that. See, Jesus courageously confronts the religious leaders of the day, the know-it-alls. The guys who came up to him, who are you coming in here? You need to quiet your disciples here. Jesus confronts him. He says, um, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. He said, even the stones know who I am. You're walking around, breathing, got a brain, you got all this stuff, but you got these things going for you, but you, the stones know more than you do. Wow. Okay. Jesus is making that point that you don't realize who I am. Have you ever seen that movie Hook? It came out a long time ago. I was like a kid when it came out. It was uh, Robin Williams and... He's Peter Pan, but he's like old. Somehow he got, you know, in our world and, and then he uh, gets old and then his kids get taken to Neverland and he goes back to Neverland and uh, everything's changed in Neverland since he, he had left and he goes back there and it wasn't the same because now Rufio is in charge. Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. You, you got it, you know. Yes, we love Rufio. Rufio was awesome. Um, but there's this scene where Peter in his old age comes. And they're, they're making fun of him. They're laughing at him. Rufio's just destroying him. And, uh, and there's this one little kid. That looks at Peter as an old man and he grabs him by the face and he just starts holding on his face. He's like pushing it together and doing all this stuff on his face. He's looking at him and he says, Peter, it is you. It is you. Jesus is entering the city as these crowds of people are around him. And he's saying, the stones know who I am. Don't you see? Can't you see who I am? I am standing right in front of you. I am God. I've come for you. I've come for you. Jesus rode into the city, not only facing down these religious leaders who didn't understand who he was, but ultimately, he came to face down sin and death. See, Jesus came to Jerusalem to die. 
One man, J.C. Ryle, said, you know, Jesus came to die and desired that all Jerusalem know it. When the time came that he should die, he made a public entry in Jerusalem. He drew the attention of rulers and priests and elders and scribes and Greeks and Romans to himself. He knew that the most wonderful event that ever happened in this world was about to take place. The eternal Son of God was about to suffer in the stead of sinful men, the great sacrifice for sin about to be offered up. He therefore ordered it so that his death was eminently a public death. Courage. He pursued us at great expense to himself. So do you see him entering the city, pursuing you and me? Here are some takeaways today. How do we see God pursuing us? Number one is this. My encouragement is this. Embrace a new hero. See, as we read through this text and and think about who the hero truly is in our lives, if I were to say, like, what do you think about most of the time during the week or in your life, what would pop in your mind? Who do you picture the hero being of your life? Who's the story about? Who's the hero of your story? Do you see God coming after you like this? Because what this is, is the embodiment of God's grace. Because as we start to see ourselves for who we truly are, we say, man, I don't deserve that kind of pursuit. I don't deserve to be the hero of my story. I don't deserve to be the hero of my life. If we're real, Jesus is saying, yeah, you're right but embrace me as a new hero. Embrace me as as the hero that came after you and that loves you and that cares for you, that will pursue you in your darkest moments. See, do you see God patiently waiting for you, loving you, pursuing you like that? Because as you start to picture him like that, there will be no other heroes in your life. You'll say, "That's, that's him, it's him, he did it. Will you embrace that story? Will you embrace that narrative? Will you embrace that he is pursuing you like that? See, grace starts to see God as the hero of the story, not us. And as Jesus is entering the city, he's saying, I I came to be the one that was the hero of your story. So do you think like that? The second is this, rethink the narrative. Rethink the narrative. And so here's what I mean. There's a lifelong mismatch about what we think we need and what God gives us, isn't there? So as the people are seeing Jesus enter into the city, Jesus, I really know what I need. Here's what I need in life. I need you to kick out the Romans and we'll be good. That's what they wanted. That's the king they wanted. And Jesus says, no, I came to be the king that's an eternal king. That's the king of your life that loves you, that cares for you, that, that rules in your life and is not gonna be, enslave you. 
I want to free you. And so what we see in this is that as the people are seeing Jesus entering the story, they're going to be disappointed. They're going to be very disappointed. Because these are the same people who are going to be cheering him one in one breath, but ready to crucify him in the next. See, why do we get so mad at God in life? It's because our narrative is, God, I know better than you do. <laughs> I know what I need better than you do, and so, God, I, I'm going to be really upset if you don't come through for me on this thing. But there's a mismatch between what you really need and what I really need and what God provides. And so the life of a Christian is persevering through the mismatch until his will becomes our will. Until his narrative becomes our narrative. God, I don't want to write my story anymore. I don't want to do it my way anymore. I want yours. And then what will happen is this. You'll start to see that God is providing the, the thing that you needed the most. Isn't it interesting when you look back at your life and, and if we're honest, right, we say, man, I really wanted this thing to come through and it didn't. But that was actually the best thing for me. I have plenty of stories of that in my life where I pursued it so hard and I thought this is the answer and this is what I need and I didn't get it. God, what are you doing up there? Do you love me? Do you care about me? I'm struggling in my faith, really doubting right now. I look back and I think, man, that really wouldn't have been good. That really wouldn't have been good. God, I am so thankful for your grace and I'm so thankful that you know better than I do. I love this quote from Timothy Keller. He says, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. Could you imagine that for a minute? That if we knew what God knows, we would ask for exactly what he provides, what he gives. Wow. Could it be that God's trying to tell a better story in our lives than the one that we're trying to create on our own? And so what we need to do is rethink the narrative. Who is this about? It's not about me. It's about him. Because that's the narrative Jesus is telling us as he enters the city. The last one is this. Human celebrity is fleeting. And I'll add this little disclaimer. It's also deadly. It's deadly. See again, people are shouting, blessed is the king. Crucify him. We live in an age that's digital. Social media, likes, retweets, mentions. This is tough. See, the Bible warns us against man's praise versus God's praise. It warns us against this. There's this verse in, in John, 
where it says that Jesus did not entrust himself over to the people because he knew it was in their hearts. Who did Jesus entrust himself to? God the Father. He trusts himself over the Father. And what was it that the Pharisees loved? They loved the praises of man. They loved people just heaping it on and saying, look at me, look at how religious I am. Look at how good I am. That's why the, the people were shocked when Jesus says, yeah, they, they actually don't know what they're talking about. What? Human celebrity is, it's fleeting. It's dangerous. There's this uh, new documentary coming out on Heath Ledger, and I've seen some of the previews. I uh, really do want to see this documentary. And if you don't know who Heath Ledger is, he was an actor, um, ended up dying uh, because of suicide, 28 years old, played the Joker in Dark Knight, which he was brilliant. Brilliant. Um, you think about some of the, the scenes in that movie, and again, I don't know if you've seen it, but just uh, embodied who that, that character was. And uh, Matt Amato, who's a filmmaker and, and knew Heath pretty well, he says this. He says, Heath wanted fame. Then when he got it, he didn't want it took him to a really, really dark place. See, many of us are like dreaming the success in our mind. Dreaming of the grandeur of like if people really recognized me or saw me or gave me the praise that I deserved. I'm dreaming of it. This is what Heath Ledger dreamed of. And it ended up killing him. Human celebrity isn't what we've built it up to be. It's not. And Psalm 103, 15 through 16 says this, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. That's what human celebrity gets us. See, Jesus leads us to put our hope in the glory of God, not the celebrity of man. And so how does this work in our lives? We have to see how Jesus did it. And we have to receive him and what he's done. See, here's the gospel that God pursued us. And Romans 5, 8 wraps it up so well, and I want to end it here today. Here's what it says. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, as we enter today, as we've come into Palm Sunday, we think, man, where, where am I at with God? Have I gotten my life together? Have I earned my way into this? I just want to tell you, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We can come to him. We can be open with him. We can say, God, this is where I'm at. Honest, transparent. And say, that's why he died. That's why he came. 
God came for us and he gave it all. He died for us on the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you pursued us and you died for us and it wasn't the other way around. We're, we're, not, we're not the heroes of the story. It's always been you. It will always be you. And so, Father, please give us the grace to receive that today, to know that today, and to celebrate what you've done and who you are. We love you, God, and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.